Lord Jesus, this is a prayer of our hearts. Not just that our children will know this, sing this song, but it'll be the reality of their lives. That as they grow, they will love you and praise you and thank you for all that you've done for them. That they will recognize the goodness that you have given unto them, bestowed unto them, and that you will fill them with your spirit. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. This is the last part of our little two-part series entitled Save My Child. It's uh, of greater significance to me the older my kids get and the more kids I have and I'm not having any more, I'm done. But uh, I remember distinctly many things about our first experience with, experiences with Dayton. You know, the first child, you love them all equally. Let's all say that, parents. We love them all equally, right? Um, we even like them all equally most of the time. But, uh, but we love them all equally. But that first child, every experience that you go through with that first child just sticks in your brain. It's the newness of it all. And, and there's this extra level of like, fear of I don't want to mess this all up that just is there. And so I remember kind of the first rough night that we had with Dayton once he had started sleeping in, in his own bed. We actually, he was out of his crib and in his own bed uh, before he was even two years old. He just was always a great sleeper and, and he, was, he was fine. And we'd gone a couple years without him ever uh, getting out of bed, without him ever disobeying us at, at bedtime. And in one week, he decided that he was going to push the limits. I mean, even as a little baby, when you put him down, lay him down, he just go to sleep. But now at about two and a half years old or so, he decided that he was going to push the limits. So he was climbing out of bed, and we were putting him back in bed, and he'd get scold, we'd scold him, and, and uh, we'd tell him we we're going to take this privilege away, and, and he got his stuffed animal. Uh, he sleeps with this little... He still has it, this little thing he calls bubbles, because it used to make a bubble noise. I guess it's like a little seahorse that we got at Target, and it's absolutely the greatest, like, $12 investment ever in our lives. Um, but but uh, we've always told him, he's like, oh, can you stay a little bit longer? Oh, you've got bubbles. Okay. He takes bubbles. and I guess our cuddles aren't too good since they can be replaced by a little plastic $12 seahorse, but... Um, but we were doing all these things. We took that seahorse away, and he got a spanking, and, and all of these things. And by the way, don't send me any emails if you don't agree with the spanking. Just we'll agree to disagree and move forward with it. Um, but after a few mornings of this, and, and Dayton had just gotten in trouble again, we were sitting down, and we were talking to him about this. We were trying to, trying to reason with this little two-and-a-half-year-old, and he was being so cute, and we were saying, do you understand? He's like, yes, mommy, yes, daddy, and he had these, if you go look at our Facebook, old pictures of Dayton, he had these ginormous cheeks, and uh, just this, just, just the cutest little blonde hair and everything, and we'd say, well, you need to really stay in bed, okay, daddy, okay, mommy, and we'd say, we really love you, Dayton, but, you know, you need to obey, I love you too, and, and, you know, he was just being so cute that my heart just started to feel bad for for, you know, get him in trouble, for spanking him, whatever. And so while Christina was still talking, I slipped out of the room, and I went into the other room. And Christina had bought these um, uh, Thomas the Tank Engine little train things that we had bought a bunch of them. We had 
got a whole lot of them so that when uh, Dane would wake up dry, you know, his pull-up was dry, we'd give him one of these Thomas the Tank Engine things, or, or, or he went to the bathroom, or we had a good day, he'd get one of these Thomas the Tank Engine things just as affirmation, hey, you know, keep making it so we don't have to change your diaper anymore, we'd love that. Um, and so now I was, went into the other room and I was feeling bad about, about Dayton getting him in trouble because now he was being so, so cute and my heart just wanted to make him happy and wanted to just put, uh, put even a bigger smile on his face. And so I grabbed one of those Thomas the Tank Engine trains. I was like, even though he's gotten in trouble, he's being cute right now, so I'm going to go give him one of these, which goes against my total parenting philosophy. But um, as I've said before and as I said last week, uh, the only perfect parents are people who have no, what, children, right? <laughs> Before we have kids, I'll never do this. I'll never spoil my kid in this way. I'll never just randomly give him some toy for no reason. And then after we have kids, we realize that we never should have said never. And uh, so I gave him this, this, this toy. I wanted to make him happy by this external object that I was giving him. You know, we, in a, as a society, we as a society have kind of defaulted to that method of thinking. That for our kids, for the young people in our church, whatever it may be, that in order to make them happy, we need to externally give them something or, or do something for them. But is this really our purpose as parents? Is this really our, our purpose as adults? Have we come, become consumed? Have we become... And we come to believe that, that, that by providing them with external things and making sure everything externally is okay around them, that ultimately this will give them, them happiness. I've sat with parents who have been struggling with decisions regarding their kids, and I have heard this line, I just want my kids to be happy. And that's what we all desire for our kids, for them to be happy. But what defines happiness for our children? Is it the excess that exists in our country, is it the excess that exists within our families that really is ultimately going to make them happy? Or is, or is there something else that we can give them that will make them happy? I think as parents and, and as adults and as a society, we allow, we've allowed uh, the world, society, and our kids' peers in some ways to dictate what will make our children happier. So t society tells us that if we buy anything and go anywhere and do anything, then we'll make our kids happy. As long as we take them to Disney, then they're going to be happy. As long as we buy them this or that, then they're going to be happy. As long as I give them a Thomas the Tank Engine train, he'll be happy. There's an entire marketing industry that, that plays off this idea. In fact, the marketing industry has gotten very smart. Uh, they no longer try to sell to the parents. They no longer try to sell to the parents. They try to s sell to the kids. Because they know that we've gotten weak in our old age of the world. That if our kids say, please, 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 that a lot of times we'll be like, finally, like, okay, just be quiet. Here, have it. They're smart. Advertisers have suckered us into signing up for anything and everything to make sure that our kids are socially adept, experientially rich, and academically well-rounded. Folk will recruit Coaches and tutors and instructors and mentors to, to make sure their kids can, can dance better and sing clearer and, and jump farther and throw faster and hit harder and, 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 and test higher than, than any other kids. We see how one kid throws a birthday party 
I've heard parents talk about this. There's one kid that throws a birthday party in this way, and they wonder if they have to do the same thing. Do I have to throw that big a party for my kid as well? We see other kids play sports and participate in plays and social events on Sabbath, and I've sat with parents. Parents have asked me the question, Pastor, am I depriving my child by not letting them play this sport on Sabbath? We become, we become obsessed with the external and whether or not we're depriving our kids from happiness by depriving them of some external thing. But have we as parents, as we have adults, have we crossed the line? Have we gone too far? Have we become so occupied with giving and worrying about the external things in this world, thinking that will offer them true happiness, even good things, that we have forgotten that it is not what we give to our kids externally, ultimately, that is going to make truly happy children. What is important is what we leave in them, what we leave inside of them and place inside of them for eternity. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, because I believe the Bible teaches us that it is more important, it is more important for us to place things in our children than to give things to our children. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we were at last week, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you, or you can use your smartphones or your tablets, or you can just follow along listening. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the great Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. We talked last week about how Moses is trying to instruct the children of Israel. He's trying to instruct them on how to leave a lasting legacy from generation to generation. He's saying, I want you to do these things so that you can pass it on to your children and to your children's children and to your children's children's children. That you can just continue to pass this on, that you will leave a legacy through the generations. And we looked at, at, at these verses and saw that, that the key, the very first key to, to leaving a legacy, a spiritual legacy in our children's life is not to make sure we follow all the latest methods or, or make sure we read all the latest books, but the most important thing to leave an eternal spiritual legacy in our children's life is that we, as the adults of the church, we, as the parents and as the grandparents, that we, that we personally know that God is the one and only that we personally love God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our strength. We talked about how you can tell your kid till you're blue in the face to love God, to pray to God, to talk to God, to spend time with God. And if you don't personally do it, the likelihood of your kid just following your words is minimal. They'll be more likely to follow your example and not do any of it. We cannot pass on what we do not personally embrace. We cannot pass on what we have not personally experienced. We cannot pass on what we do not personally have knowledge of. We pass on things all the time that we don't have knowledge of that aren't good for our kids. You know, we pass on whatever. So, so for instance, my, my wife tells me, she, she, uh, she tells me that I need to be mindful of what I say to my boys because 
I tend to be really paranoid. Like, for instance, Landon had a little bit of rash on his skin, and I said to Christina, oh, man, we need to give him some Benadryl, and we need to see what's going on with his rash. And she said, Chad, it's dry skin. I was like, are you sure? You know, she's like, yeah, I've gone to a lot of medical school for all these years. I've, I've done a lot of school and studied medicine for a long time. I'm like, Christina, you know, she said, Chad, be quiet. Stop. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean you need to pass that on to your children, Right? There's a lot of things we pass on to our children that aren't good. We need to pass on the things that are good. And the only way to pass on the things that are good is if we know about them, that if we understand them and embrace them. So the scriptures tell us that it begins with us as adults. But then we go to verse 7. It said, verse 6, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And then verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You shall teach them diligently to your children. I like the way the NIV, I believe, says it. It says that you shall impress them upon your children. Rather than it be just being verbal dictation, that, that, that it's impressed upon them by the way you live, by the way you talk, by the way you act, by the way you treat others. Folk, in our lives as parents and adults, we need to shift our minds from thinking about what the world tells us our kids need to make them happy. And we need to look at what the Bible tells us that we need to place inside of our kids. We need to leave behind the thinking that if I give them, give them, give them, give them, give them, they will be happy. And rather think that if I place in them the word of God, if I place in them the truths of God, if I place in them the, 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 the understanding of God and his character, that this is ultimately what will truly give our children happiness. Not just momentarily like a Thomas the Tank Engine toy can, but for all eternity. We need to give our kids a real identity, a real understanding of who God is, that he is our God, that he is their God, that he's their creator, that he's their savior, that he's their master, that he's their, their friend and their intercessor. As parents, every single decision we make should not be asking, what do I think will make my kids happy externally? Every decision we make for our kids and in regards to our kids should be centered around the question, is this decision going to give them the absolute best opportunity to have the love of God, the love of Jesus, and the understanding and the direction and the love of the Holy Spirit in their hearts for all eternity? Is, it a te- is, is, is what I'm teaching them going to be real to them for all eternity, or is it just something that will slip away? Some people may think the natural default method for humanity is to then think that we're saying create more rules for our kids. I mean, because I don't know about you, but, but myself, I like things that I can control. Do you like things that you can control, right? Does anyone like being out of control? Most people don't like being out of control. I mean, we don't like change. We like to be in control and to know what's going on and what's happening. I mean, some of you right now are still freaking out that we're going to move the first service to 9 o'clock, even though you don't even attend first service. I mean, that's how much you guys hate change. I mean, we just like to be in control and to understand and to have a, have a grip on all of these things right now. We, we, we want to have these things. And so we think when we hear this stuff, okay, I need to teach these things to my children. I need to impress upon them. Therefore, that must mean I need to make more rules. But that's not what this is saying. That's not what this is saying. In fact, there's a great quote 
from the book Adventist Home by Ellen White that I love and I came across it years ago and, and it's something I still struggle with and I'm still working on, but I think it's something that all of us need to apply potentially. There is danger, she writes, in too, of too severely criticizing small things. And she's speaking in regards to children. Criticism that is too severe, rules that are too rigid, lead to the disregard of all regulations and by and by, Children thus educated will show the same disrespect for the laws of God. Some of you right now may be thinking, man, I wish I'd heard that quote 20, 30 years ago. Folks, what she's saying here is that sometimes we can create so many rules for our kids that by creating so many rules, they have to break them almost. Because they have to be able to function and live. And, and they're so used to breaking those rules that eventually they'll break the rules of God. Eventually they'll break the rules of God. So many people have grown up and said, why did my kid, I taught them everything. I was very strict. I was, we had a very disciplined home. Well, maybe it was too much. See, what the Bible wants us to teach, what, what Moses is saying to the children of Israel is I want you to impress upon them the principles. In fact, he doesn't give them a whole laundry list of rules. Yes, there are rules, and maybe in some homes there are more rules needed. That could be the case. But what is not, it's not being talked about here is a list of rules. It's saying impress upon your children that which you know in your heart, that you love God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Impress that upon them. Impress the love of God, the character of God, the kindness of God, the friendship of God, the truth of God, and yes, even the justice and the commands of God. But do so in a way that you're not just creating these arbitrary rules. Y'all, we have to be deliberate in making this a reality in our kids' lives, in our homes, in our church, and for our children. Remember what it said. It said in verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Think about it. God, through Moses, he is calling parents, adults, leaders of homes, to be deliberate about committing to God. Moses says when you walk when you, when you lie down and when you rise up, you should be impressing upon your children that the Lord God is love, is grace, is mercy. The description is a way of saying basically that all throughout the day, he wants there to be reminders throughout the day, throughout your journey, of Jesus. Some of us get up in the morning, we pray at breakfast with our kids, and then there's no more talk of God until we go to bed at night and we pray and we put them to bed and we send them on their way. But what Moses is saying is throughout the day, there needs to be moments when you're impressing upon your children the things of God, the understanding of God. I want you to think about the context in which Moses actually made these statements. Think about Moses. He's telling these adults. He's telling these leaders in Israel. He's saying to them, I want you to remind, live in such a way that you are constantly reminding your children of God and of the things of God. Moses is saying this in a community that is surrounded with reminders of God. I mean, think about it. The children of Israel. The children of Israel. How did they eat? Tell me. Someone yell it out. How did they eat? The manna. And where did the manna come from? 
from God, from heaven. Every day, they were reminded, six days a week, you collect your manna. On the seventh day, you don't collect manna, so you collect double portion on the sixth day. On the seventh day, you rest, and you partake of the manna from the previous day. Every day, they're reminded that their sustenance, that their food, that their nourishment, that their ability to survive physically comes from God. Comes from God. The Bible tells us in the book of Exodus that a, that a, that a cloud led them by day and a pillar of fire, what? By night. They have this constant reminder that we're being led, we're being guided by God. The sanctuary service was going on. It wasn't like us where we just have a one day of the week thing. There was constant sacrifices taking place, reminding the people that sin has consequences, that that sin leads to death, that sin leads to destruction, reminding the people that that it is only through the bleeding, the shed, the shedding of the blood of the lamb, what's that word? It's only through the the blood of the lamb, the shedding of blood, that we have the forgiveness of sins. They're constantly reminded of this. In a world in which there are constant reminders of the things of God, Moses says to the people, Moses says to the people, you need to be diligent in reminding your children of who God is and what God is about. He's saying, parents, listen, listen, even with all these reminders of God, you still must teach your kids in your homes every single day. At all times, look for opportunities to talk about me, to teach your children something about me. If they were to be diligent in a day and age when there were constant reminders, how much more urgent and necessary should it be for us to be living, who are living in 2016, to make every decision for the purpose of teaching our kids about God, to to be urgent, about reminding them of God. In, in a day and age when there's, when there's very few reminders of God, when there's very few reminders of God, in a day and age when there's many, many, many distractions, how much more urgent is it that we are diligent about reminding our children of the things of God? Moses' people, their reliance for food came from God. Our reliance for food Hey, where's the nearest fast food joint? Where's the nearest pizza place? Litos, Squizitos, whatever it is. One of those Itos. Whatever they are, we eat at them. We don't think to ourselves, man, I, I've got to rely on God to, to send food down from heaven for me today. Man, I'm thirsty. I really actually am at the moment. Man, I'm thirsty. We don't say, is Moses going to be able to, is someone going to strike a rock and we'll be able to have water? No, we go, which one of the hundred water bottle companies do we, do we want to partake of? My new personal favorite is Fiji water. If anyone wants to buy me a bottle of water, I appreciate that. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you, Tony. You bought me a bottle of water not too long ago. I appreciate that. <laughs> it used to be Dasani. Now it's turned into Fiji. I'll just, I'm going through waves here. Um, but we have this. There's no reminders that I need God to, 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 to give me these basic things that, that provide me with life. We're distracted on so many levels. We don't have the constant reminder of the sanctuary service around us to remind us of of the evils of sin. Instead, we are distracted by by all the evil around us, whether it comes from the theaters or the red box or the Netflix televisions in every single home, video games and cell phones possessed by even the youngest of kids. We have a life of ease compared to when Moses spoke these words. Electricity. Electricity. Clothes that we can buy off the rack rather than making our own. Starbucks to wake you up 
and sleepy time tea to put you asleep at night. Or maybe for some of you, Ambien. Air-conditioned buildings, hot showers, and of course, my favorite above all favorites, indoor plumbing. Amen? Where are our reminders in this world of our need for God? Where are our reminders? With so few reminders than adults, how much more do we need to be diligent to teach our children dependence on the love and the heart and the truths of God? It needs to be forefront in every single decision that we make. Every single decision that we make. Now parents, if we haven't already been doing this, it will be challenging, even if we do it. Even those of you that do it, you can testify the fact that it's challenging. Why? Because the devil wants to destroy the lives of every child that you know. Hear that very clearly. And he wants to use you and me to do it. He wants to destroy the lives of every child that you know. And he wants to use you and me to do it. Because the devil understands something. If the adults in their lives are the ones that impress upon them the things of this world, then I already have an advantage. I already have a step up. I don't even need to worry about the things out there in the world. I already got an advantage through the adults. We had close to 50 kids up here this morning. Which 70% are we okay with saying we don't care if they're lost for all eternity? Because that's what the studies show. Which 70%? So it's challenging, folks. It's challenging. It's challenging, and it may be inconvenient, and it may be uncomfortable, and it may even demand lifestyle change, but for the sake of our children, we must be willing. We must be willing. God's hope and God's law and God's truths, we must do whatever we can to put these into the minds and the hearts of our children. We are to talk about them when we walk, when we sit, when we lie down, we have to ask ourselves the question, are my decisions helping Christ to be more deeply in the hearts of our children? If, we cannot, if, we, if, we, if our decisions are not helping Christ to be in our children, then we must make different decisions. Church, not just parents. Church family. Church. Listen. We must be doing something wrong. 70% of our kids are leaving. At some point, we have to ask the question, if our decisions are not helping our children to love Jesus more and to know him more, then we must be doing something wrong and we must make different decisions. School teachers, if the majority of our kids are leaving our schools and not walking with the Lord, then we have to ask the question, what are we doing to contribute to that? It's not one or the other. It's not, well, it's all the parents' fault. It's all the church's fault. It's all the school's fault. We're a collective whole. We're the body of Christ. And as a collective whole, we have to ask the question, what is it about the decisions that we've been making that are causing 70% of our young people to say no to Jesus? 70%. We must make different decisions. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. If your eye causes you to sin, Jesus says this, if your eye causes you to sin, Matthew chapter 5, 
Verse 29. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. You may say, well, Pastor, I was talking about the context of our own personal experience. Folk, when we are parents, when we are parents, and not even just parents, but as adults who are living an example before the kids within the church, when we are doing things that would lead our young people down a path away from God, shouldn't we get rid of those things without delay? Shouldn't we get rid of those things without delay, yes or no? Yes. And just in case some of you say, well, that is extrapolating from the text too much, I want you to listen to Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 5, where Jesus specifically mentions young people. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now listen to this, verse uh, 7 of Matthew chapter 18. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they've come. The Bible tells us that there are going to be things in this world that are going to potentially cause us and our children to sin. Woe to the world that there are such things in this world that cause our kids to sin. But then Jesus says, but woe to the man through whom these things come. Woe to us as parents if the things that lead our kids astray are coming through you and through me. Woe to us as parents. Don't, let's not blame anybody else. Let's not blame the world. Let's not blame the church. Let's not blame the school. Woe to the parents if there's anything that comes through that man that causes our children or that woman that causes our children to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Woe to the man through whom these things come. Jesus isn't saying literally cut out your eye or cut off your feet or cut off your hands. What Jesus is saying is get rid of those things that not only cause you to sin, but cause your children to sin as well. Y'all, are we making any decisions? Am I making decisions as a parent? Are you making decisions as parents? Are we as a church making any decisions that would lead to the destruction of the lives of our children? Our greatest and most important asset is our children, our children. If there are things causing our kids to maybe be led astray, we need to get rid of them. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. Y'all, many of us have stood, many of us have stood before church families and congregations to dedicate our children. Just a reminder about this aspect of things. Dedication is not for your children. Dedication is not for your children. Some people in some places teach that if you dedicate your child, that that then is going to increase their odds of being saved. Dedication, the dedication of a child has absolutely no bearing on the salvation of your kid. None whatsoever. 
unless you as a parent personally allow your heart to be dedicated as well. That's the truth. That's the truth. Now, because guess what? Before you dedicate your kid, Jesus loves your child with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his strength. And he has done everything and will continue to do everything to save your child that he can possibly do on his behalf. Everything. After your child's dedicated, nothing's changed from that stance. So what happens at dedication that changes? It's you. It's, all, it's me. It's us committing our hearts and saying, Jesus, whatever you need me to do so that this child that I hold in my arms, that I love, that I care for, will have the best opportunity to say yes to you one day, I will do it, whatever it is. Parents, when we dedicate our kids, we're really dedicating our own hearts, and we need to be reminded of that. And now if I haven't already, I'm going to start meddling a little bit. So just hold on. I wish that every parent, remember we talked about at the beginning, it's not what we give our kids that makes them happy. I wish that every parent that has kids that spend an abundance of time on video games and never dreaming that they're animals, Mark. Um, no, but every parent that has a, Kids that spend abundance of times on video games, but never in the word of God, that they would take those video consoles out and not just hide them in a closet for a few weeks, but they would take them out and they would get a sledgehammer or they would start a bonfire. It's raining outside. The fire will go out quickly. If your kids are constantly on that console and never in the word of God, let's get rid of that thing. Let's get rid of it. I wish that every video game that was played in our homes that was rated mature, that young kids are playing, would be destroyed. Would be destroyed. I wish that we would follow the counsel of God and if our kids are having problems with pornography, if our kids are having problems with pornography, our teenagers, both boys and girls now, folks, you know the fastest demographic of pornography users are girls. Over 35% now of girls have seen and observed pornography. So both young, both gender, uh, genders. But I wish if we, if we had children that were struggling with pornography, that the parent would be willing to sacrifice their computer, take it out of the house, get rid of it, do whatever they must. Well, I need my email, or I, or I enjoy doing this, or I enjoy, who cares? Well, I'll put a password protected. Folks, your kids are smarter than you. And they will get around that password. Trust me, I know. And they'll tell you that they don't know. They're lying to you. And don't hold that against them. But that's what we do. We try to hide these things. I mean, I one day was trying to figure something out on my iPad. And my, this was when Dayton was about five years old, came over to me and said, Oh, Daddy, you got to do this. I said, Christine, we gotta watch this stuff. You know, you, you, they, they're smarter than us. Parents, let's get rid of these things. Parents, if your kids are struggling with pornography, make sure their phone has no internet service on it because they can get it from there. They can get it from there. Oh, this will make them unhappy. Who cares? For eternity, who cares? For the moment. For the moment.
I wish that all our parents would choose if they're able. When I say able, sometimes financially, sometimes through learning for learning reasons. But if they're able, that they would put them in schools that most closely align with their beliefs in Jesus. If this is not possible because of finances, again, we take up that money every single week to help people to attend our school, Spencerville Adventist Academy. It's not a perfect place, but it is a place where, where more likely than not, they'll hear the name of Jesus more often than they would in other places. That's true. Well, it's expensive. Yes, I understand that it's expensive. I understand that it is, it's expensive. And so we get rid of the cable. We get rid of the TV. We get rid of the phones. We do whatever we have to do. And then if we still need help, come to the church. Come to the school. We'll help you. We're giving $80,000. Last year we gave $60,000. We increased it by $20,000 this year because we want more kids to be able to go to our school. My grandma, JJ, one of the three greatest women I know, my wife, my mom, and my grandma, JJ. When my mom was 10 years old, the oldest of four kids, when my grandpa divorced my grandma, and she made sure that all four of those kids could go through our school. She worked three jobs, three jobs during their schooling so they could go to our school. It takes sacrifice, but whatever we can do, put our kids in the best opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Parent, uh, teachers, by the way, that goes for you too. Teachers, parents in this room are entrusting that when they send their kids to our schools, that the principles that they believe in are being affirmed at the school. And that means in every subject, not just Bible, not just history, in every subject that Jesus' name is being uplifted and mentioned, even math. And I don't know how that's possible, but your math people are smarter than me, so you can figure it out. But we have this responsibility to get together. I wish that in every home, the word of God would be opened with consistency. I wish that in every home, people would sit around their tables to eat as a family together on a regular basis. On a regular basis. Not around the TV, not in separate rooms, but together sitting around their table. Science has even shown this to be a blessing. If you sit just once a week, as a family together and eat a meal just once a week, you decrease the chances that your kids will get involved in drugs or drinking or have premarital sex. I mean, just once a week. Imagine if we did it every single day. What a blessing that would be. I praise the Lord for, for the wife that God has given me. And I praise the Lord for the wife that God has given me because growing up in my home, we never ate around the table together. And when we did, it was so rare that it was just really weird to look at these people. And they were my sisters and my parents. But Christina was, her family, they sat around the table every single day. Christina would have a, a football or a bas varsity basketball game up at the school, up at the academy. And they lived about 30 minutes away from, or 25 minutes away from the academy. And she'd call her mom and say, I'm just going to stay at school. And mom would say, no, you're coming home. We're going to eat as a family, and then you can go back and play your game. And now you know what my wife does? She calls me, when are you going to be home? We're waiting to eat with you. When Christine and I first got married, this was so weird for me. I mean, it was just the two of us. And she'd, set, she'd put the, the dishes at the table. I didn't know that's what a table was for. I thought the table was for mail and junk and to do my homework. 
Christina would put the dishes at the table and she'd say, let's sit down and talk. I'd say, do you want to put something on the TV? No, let's just talk. Do you, do, you want to, do you want to watch a video or something? No, let's just talk. Really? After 12 years, I finally realized this is a good thing. And last night, we all sat around as a family. We do this every single day, but as a family, last night on Friday nights, we do special things and we... And Christina gets out the crystal, and she gets out the nice plates and the china and everything. You know, you got to make it special. Sabbath is to be special on a high day. And she lights candles, and we all light candles, and they go around, and, and they appreciate things. And I don't even like that appreciation thing, but, man, my kids love it. And so praise Jesus for my wife. Amen. But it, it takes a moment to affirm and to affirm the things of God, and we have opportunity. We need to take opportunity to, to share. I wish kids would hear their parents Pray for them. I wish kids would hear their parents pray for them. Pray for your kids. Let them hear you speaking their name to the ears of God. I wish that every kid would hear their parents praying together. Do you want to help their marriages down the road? Model before them what a biblical relationship looks like and pray with one another. Let your kids hear you praying together. I wish that in every home, moms and dads would hold hands and sit on each other's laps. Yes, this is a good thing, even if you're 80-some years old, although maybe be a little careful if you got some weak bones there. <laughs> Y'all, whatever we must do, whatever decisions we must make to put our kids in the best position possible to be in love with Jesus. It may not be popular with the world. It may not be popular with our kids. They may say, this doesn't make me very happy. This is Levi's new new favorite saying that makes me very upset three years old what's your point those blue eyes though man they get you you just have to stand this is very frustrating to me mommy this is another favorite saying this is very frustrating to me you know the third one he didn't talk for he didn't talk till he's almost three or two and a half years old and we thought this kid's never going to talk and now we realize he was just learning all the words before he could talk, because now he just says them all. It may not be convenient. It may design, demand lifestyle change for us too. But Jesus must be more important to us than anything else. And the gift of our children and their salvation is the greatest cause that we have to live for as individuals, parents, as grandparents, as aunts, as uncles, and as teachers and pastors and as church members. Let us dedicate ourselves now once again to do everything in our power to give our kids the best opportunity to have Jesus in their hearts. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to say, Jesus, I wanna commit to doing whatever is necessary to give my child the best opportunity to say yes to you one day? Some of your kids were sitting up here which of them are you okay with not giving a good opportunity to say yes to Jesus? Which of them are you okay to say, you know what? I'm gonna be a slacker. And if they end up lost for all eternity, they end up lost for all eternity. Which one? I'm not willing to say that about any of my three kids. I want them all to be in eternity, in eternity with the kingdom of heaven. Even if I didn't make it, I want them there. They're more important to me than even my own salvation. So let us have that spirit for all of our kids. Pull out your connection cards and let us commit to this again today. That commitment we made when we dedicated our children in our own hearts, let us commit to this again today.
You'll notice on this connection card as I read through it that it's not a bunch of lists of rules, okay? Don't walk out of here and say, okay, well, I'm gonna have this rule and this rule and this rule and this rule and this rule. Love your kids as Christ loves them and shows them that love and then teach them the principles of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, this is the power of God. I can't do this on my own. You can't do this on your own. Parents that have lived many, many generations ahead of myself, they're hearing me right now and they're saying it's a lot harder than just saying we're gonna do it. it it's a challenge. It's a challenge. We can only do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna mess up. We're gonna make some mistakes, but we every day commit, commit to this in our hearts and our minds. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I commit to the first one, pray with my child or children daily at more than just mealtime. Will you check that box? Can you commit to that? I will pray with my children daily at more than just mealtime. Take every opportunity you can to pray with your kids. Turn things into opportunities for prayer and you'll discover that your kids begin to pray in the most random of moments. I mean, I've, I've said to my kids, hey, we need to pray for that person. We'll be in the middle of a grocery store and suddenly I'll, I'll look around and my kid will be stopping to pray. And I want to say to them, you know, no, we'll do it later. But I have to hold myself back and say, no, just keep, keep praying. Pray with our children daily. They'll learn to pray at all times. Read the Bible and or Bible stories with your children every single day. Again, my wife, from the time she was little until she graduated high school, whenever she was home living in the house, whether she liked it or not, they got together as a family and they read the word of God. They read the word of God. I should have her just standing up here because she's the model of, of, of good and we can contrast. <laughs> look for opportunities. I will, look for, I will commit to look for opportunities to teach my children spiritual lessons. You know, Moses was saying, as you walk, as you sit, as you rise, you know, as you're walking along the way, remind your children of the things of God. Folks, when you're driving down the road and someone says, why is that person asking for food? Don't say, well, because they need to get a job. You know, say something like, well, you know, the Bible tells us that, that we're always going to have the poor amongst us and, and that we need to do everything that we can to, to assist them and, and to help them. Sometimes that, take a moment to teach them some scripture right there. Teach them some scripture right in that moment. Focus more on what I put in my children spiritually than what I give them externally. Place my children in the best environment so they can learn more about Jesus on a daily basis. Remove the things from their lives in our home that may distract them and myself from Jesus. What are some of those things that you do? What are some of those things that you need to remove from your home? There will be a distraction from Jesus. Folks, the reason I'm passionate about this, the reason I may sound lecturing about this, is because I have so many friends that were raised in Christian homes that have absolutely no interest in Jesus. And my heart aches to think that the trend is getting worse and worse as the generations go along. And my heart aches to think that even one of these 50 kids would end up that way someday. I want our kids to be saved. I want my own kids to be saved, and I want your kids to be saved. I can't save them, you can't save them, but I can help to put them in the best position and give them the best opportunity to say yes to Jesus one day when he comes knocking at their heart. Can we commit to that? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your love and your grace. 
we personally as parents and as adults need to say yes to you every single day. And Jesus, help us to realize that it's, it's not just about us and it's not just for us. We're saying yes to you also so that our kids will know you and love you more. Jesus, I want our kids to be good. I want them to behave. I want all these things. But I want it to come out of a deep relationship with you, Jesus. So help myself, help Christina, help all the individuals in here that have an influence on kids. Help us to fall in love with you, Jesus, more and more each day. And may we teach that to our children when we rise up, when we walk, and when we lie down at night. We thank you, Lord. Amen.